0: What's up legends? Today, I catch up with CUB member Joseph David, founder and CEO of It's Simple Finance, a mortgage brokerage that specializes in helping first home owners enter the market. We discussed a very wide range of topics, including how the rigid education system often doesn't work for the entrepreneurial-minded people, how routine and discipline can change your life, and why everything happens for a reason, so long as you're looking for it. Joe's a very ambitious young entrepreneur who's doing great things. Enjoy the show. What has been happening since we spoke? It wasn't that long. It was what, three weeks, four weeks ago?
1: I think it was four weeks ago. I think you've gone overseas. I'm going overseas tomorrow. Couple things.
0: Oh, you're leaving tomorrow. Well, you're yeah. gonna have to excuse me. I just got back yesterday, and my brain is as scra- je- I'm just so jet lagged. So I'm gonna, if I'm saying anything stupid, listeners, that that is why. But <laughs> but, um, but it's good to good to get you on the show finally. Thank you so
1: much. How long? You haven't been a member of Cub that long. How, how long have you been a member? I think, if I remember correctly, I joined at the start of 2022. So if I recall correctly, About a year and a half. If I recall, it was just after I had met Laura and her friend Zoe. We, my wife, well, my girlfriend at the time and I were out and she basically said to me, oh, this is, you know, the place that I work and this is what we do. You met this Laura? This Laura, yeah. Which Laura is Robes.
0: randomly out one day. Yeah. <laughs> no
1: way. Yep. Yeah. And uh, she introduced me to Michael Dowsett, one of the former relationship managers at Cub. And uh, basically- I went in on Tuesday and I signed straight up and it's, uh, yeah, it's been a fun journey since. Is
0: that your first sale, Laura? That's awesome. (laughs) How funny. What a small world. And and how's car been thus far?
1: I've loved it. It's, it's been quite an adventure because every single time I join a core, I'm a different human. So at one stage I'm just sales, but I'm frantic. Now I'm more of the strategist, more of a marketing individual. Now I can actually help people a little bit more because I'm not so much in my infancy of my business, but rather I'm in my growth phase. I'm so in- are you saying that be,
0: as you're developing as an entrepreneur, uh, um, uh, you're able, you, you're in a different position as an entrepreneur and therefore you're networking within that particular core group to our listeners. Core is like the system, uh, our members go through to, to continuously meet new fellow business owners. But so y- every time you enter a new group, um, which is, I think every, well, I know, <laughs> I think, fuck, I invented it. Uh, every, every four months you get a new group of, of 10 or whatever it is. Um, you're in a new position and therefore you, you get something different from, from that particular group of people.
1: That, that's exactly right. So I still remember the first time I joined a core, I had been, you know, running my business for a year and a half and all I wanted to do was impress people. So, you know, I'm, selling the business or I'm selling who I am. I'm selling my capabilities and I'm just trying to grab whatever I can, whatever I could pull in. Now it's more so, no, I'll sit back. I'm still passionate. I'm still always, you know, telling people what it's simple does and what it's simple finance does, but I'm not doing it in a way where I have to try and, you know, pull revenue out of it, or I'm not trying to do it in a way where, um, I'm trying to build that Partnership or a strategic partnership. I'm doing it in a way of, that's just authentic because it's, I've it's gone a, through the journey.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Like I always say, it, I don't know why also, sorry, I'll finish what I was going to say. I always say that the best thing you can do, the most valuable thing you can do when like networking or like just meeting people in general is just be authentic, be yourself and don't ha- don't look through the perspective of how can I benefit from this person. You know, don't look through that perspective at all. In fact, don't even look through how can they benefit from me? Literally just look through, well, do I like, what do I like about this person? You know, am I connecting with them? You know, what's their story? Wow. I'm really impressed by that. I can relate to that. I felt that sense of ambition as well. Like it's about building any connection. Uh, some people you don't want to connect with, but building a connection is is the key, particularly with people you see yourself having that relationship with. But for some reason like what you're saying is is so true. It's when you're new in business and I often I found this with young men. How old are
1: you? I'm 32.
0: Yeah. So often I find this with young men like including myself is they haven't yet like particularly at the start of their career, they haven't yet like prove, proven themselves as to what they believe they can do in their head that is not is not actually happened yet. And so there's an element of like um yeah, I want to impress people. I want to show people how good I am. But but somewhere they people realize and learn, like, and, and the quicker you learn this the better is like just don't worry about trying to show people how good you are. Worry about trying to build relationship with someone, trying to show them how good you are as a person and so, not trying to show them just just being yourself. You know? So
1: I think what was happening with me is because I've always, you know, been at the top wherever I am. And I don't say that with uh, arrogance. I just say that with actuality, like it's just, Oh, I work here. Okay. I'm doing the most. Like I'm, I'm at the top of the leaderboard. I'm competing in this competition. I just, that's who I am. I'm just hardwired like that. So when you're starting a new business, you learn that people don't trust it straight away. They trust a brand. So let's say I'm Joseph Dalwood and I work for Macquarie bank. This guy's from Macquarie. The Macquarie, Macquarie Banks nickname is the millionaires club. They make millionaires. That's, that's what it is. Joseph Dalwood from it's simple finance. What's it simple. That's too simple. I don't like that. And they kind of back away. So I think that's why I was kind of pushing. Cause I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm top of my game over here at a place that they call it the millionaire or the billionaire factory or whatever the, the millionaire mil- maker. Yeah. The millionaire maker, whatever the tagline is for Macquarie, I'm, not the official tag, I <laughs> yeah, will yeah. say. This is, <laughs> but I'm at the top there and then all of a sudden I go out, go out on my own and it's a completely different thing. Joseph Dalwood has not changed, okay? I'm still able to get the same results, but you got to build the brand behind you. And I think that's what I struggled with when I first got into business on my own. Thankfully now I've been able to build the brand and, you know, everything, but you learn so much jumping in.
0: So interesting. So, yeah, it's like you're the same person. You're capable of the same thing, but before you had the big brand behind you, it gives you that. I guess, uh, social proof or that, that, uh, prestige. And then when you do break out on your own to start a business, you, you don't have that anymore. It's kind of like, Oh shit. How do I get that, that, that social proof? Um, and and I really think the answer is just time and doing good work for clients. Like, um, the more time passes, the more clients you do good work for and the more relationships and and people know what you do and trust you. it, it, it just, It just slowly – and also people seeing you do well. Mm. You know, like I can relate – like with Cub, when we first started, people didn't really believe it. What is it? Who's there? Um, But, you know, they might have thought about joining in year two and they were like, "Mm, still looks kind of, you know, I don't know. It's only been around two years. Is it even going to last? But then by year five, they're kind of like, okay, wait a second. It's been around five years. Maybe I should – check in. And then there's some people even more skeptical, you know, it comes year eight and they're like, okay, well I've, I've got to join now. They've, they're clearly expanding and growing and I've watched them expand and grow. It has to be good. Otherwise they wouldn't be able to do that. Therefore I should definitely be joined. You know, it, it's a time thing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, my dad is 68 years old. He's been in property for 45 years. No matter what, he's been in property for 45 years. He's developed that authenticity. There's proof behind his brand, his personal brand. When you go off on your own sometimes, it takes a little bit of time to be able to build that up. It's funny that you actually say that. We just celebrated three financial years at It's Simple. And we're getting more people come across now than we did at the start. At the start, we were fresh, we were young, we were hip. There were different colors. It was a different way to take on finance. Now, three years later, there's proof in the brand. So the people that we're getting, you know, attracting to our business now – they're a little bit more legitimate. They're a little bit more willing to jump over because they're like, oh no, these guys have been around. They've got all these, you know, five-star reviews on Google, whatever it is. They've got brand authenticity. Let's jump on with them now. So you, no matter what time, it's a huge thing. It takes one year to be one years old. It takes 10 years to be 10 years old. And it's the same thing with business. You know, Cubs have been running now for nine eight, years? Eight years. Eight years. You know, it takes eight years for a business to grow to be eight years old. And that's just what it is. It can be so frustrating though, like as a
0: business owner, like you just want everything so quickly. Like you, you you know, like you just really want it. But, but like, I I really did learn that it is just time And, and you need the time as, as a, as a business person, you just need the time and the compounding effect of different experiences and different adversities and problems that you had to solve. You need them to actually get better and you know, you, you need to have, staff work for you and, and you be a shit leader and they leave and you, you need to have all those and then staff work for you and then learn from the mistakes and then they love you you know like it, you need to have all those experiences to be to be a whole um entrepreneur and 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 um, unfortunately they take time and they take money yeah. like you know mistakes cost money so do. <laughs> yeah but 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 it's, it's 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 it was one of the most important things i learned and then like, like you said, uh, three years, you know, we're getting some really great sophisticated clientele, but at six years, you're going to look at three years and be like, ah, look, you know, this is way different again. And then it it just, you just keep moving and and the time goes fast. Yeah. Like you don't realize it, but it just, it goes, it moves quickly.
1: I, I can't believe that we've been around for three and a half years now. I, ge- I genuinely could not believe it when we did it the other day. I was like, wait, what? So we've done three financial years. You know, we started. At the start of COVID, that's when I, that's when I launched my business. So imagine me, you know, Oh, new broke group. And then all of a sudden everything shuts down. Nobody wants to trust their money with somebody that's brand new. So we really had to build some brand equity in that time. And the way you do that is just being your genuine self, being your genuine self and doing the hard work for the clients, you know, finding solutions. I'm always, you know, there's, there's always a solution no matter what, if you, take a different perspective on it, or if you look and you try hard enough, you will find a resolution for someone at the end of it.
0: And so tell me about It's Simple Finance, so it's a mortgage brokerage? Yes. And you specialise in anything in particular or are you based out of somewhere?
1: So we're based in Alexandria and Oran Park. We've also got a shared office space in Wollongong because we get a lot of business from down there. But It's Simple was built on the premise of – removing the red tape around finance. A lot of the time, people my age, 32 years old, they're approaching me and they say, I can't afford a home. And I go, really? They go, yeah, it's so much for a deposit. I can't buy a home where I want to live. I can't do these things. A lot of individuals in Sydney, a lot of individuals in Melbourne, you know, all across Australia don't know what they have access to and don't know the possibilities that they could create for themselves if they look hard enough. But that's why we were created. We're here to make it simple for them. We kind of like to think of ourselves as the older brother of the first home buyer. We're here to help you, we're here to guide you. We want to make you feel like you're at home when you are with us. And then we can all grow together. A lot of the time, the senior clients that we've tried to attract previously have great broker relationships, they've got great banking relationships. It's very hard to get somebody to move over if they've got a great relationship.
0: What do you mean move over? Like uh, have a, a
1: new employee or a new partner? Refinance, let's say as a customer. So let's say we've brought someone in and we want to you know, take on their loan or we want to create equity for them or we want to create investment opportunity for them. It often takes someone being scorned by a bank or something along the lines of that. So the premise behind it Simple was let's focus on the first home buyers. Let's really focus in on, you know, the young hustlers, the 22 to 35 year olds that want to get ahead and they want to get ahead through property. And that's where we've really found our niche.
0: And, and so you're
1: focusing on the
0: first home buyers. You, you're basically uh, trying to make it, I, I read somewhere, you, you're making it, you believe that uh, all young Australians have the opportunity or should have the opportunity to, to, to be wealthy to build wealth through property?
1: I look at Australia and it's growing population. We've got a net migration of about 400,000 people coming in this year. We've also got 50% less development approvals. So we need to put these people somewhere. But when supply and demand meet each other in that way, all we can see is prices going up. We've seen this in the rental market recently. And when rents go up shortly afterwards, the value in property goes up. The only reason why the value of property hasn't shot up recently is because the interest rates have come up so high. So I believe that if we can get, you know, young Australians access to property, they can build themselves some serious generational wealth. We're a very young country with a lot of space. We've got sprawling cities. If you look at Sydney right now, we've built a second airport one towards Badger's Creek. There are a lot of pockets, there are a lot of suburbs out that way where you can build some serious wealth. And if you are given the correct information and if you are given the right older brother that can guide you to make smarter, better investment opportunities, then you can become a very wealthy person within 10 years.
0: Is this your first company or were you always in business or you, I think you said you're in banking before or something?
1: So I started off at Macquarie Bank. But even before that, I was a personal trainer for a period of time. Uh, how old were you? I, I will still never forget it. I was, I think I was 20 years old when I started my first business. So. And were you always into fitness? And... No, not at all. I was, um, I left school and I was uh, 124 kilos. Holy shit. Just how, how tall are you? Six foot one.
0: Oh, you're pretty tall. But how much are you, how much are you now?
1: I'm, I, I float between 88 and 90 kilos. So
0: wow, that's a
1: big drop. So with fitness. So what happened was I left school and I had no ambition. I had no direction. I had a lot of bad teachers and I'll get into that in a second. But as soon as I left school, what happened was I wasn't in the routine of 8.30 AM going somewhere that I didn't want to be being there for six hours a day, having zero motivation, and then leaving and going to myself, okay, what do I do now? Let's go open a packet of chips. I left school, I think I was 124 kilos. By the time this was back in 2009, by the time I was midway through 2009, I was 131 kilos. By the end of 2009, I was 90 kilos. I had lost 41 kilos in a span of like 26 weeks. It was insane. What happened was I created a new routine for Sorry, myself. Sorry, 41 kilos in the span of six months. Yes. yeah. I lost 51. I ended up losing 51 kilos. I ended up getting down to about 79 kilos uh, by March the year after. But I was too skinny at that point. You know when like people lose too much weight and then you look at them and they're like, okay, maybe they need to like, you know, beef up a little bit, bulk up a bit. I always look best when I'm between 88 and 90 kilos. That's what I've kind of learned about, you know, my own personal body. But what happened was – this was the first time in my life I was successful at anything. This was the first time in my life I had people approaching me and saying, hey, how did you do this? You know, you've lost all this weight. You've, you know, created something that I want to say 0.01% of people in the world can do. You know, losing 51 kilos in eight months, not a lot of people can do that. How? I, it was a lot of hard work and it was perseverance and it was a dedication. But what I, did you actually do? That's so, a lot of fat. Like that's like losing
0: more than it's a whole like, person. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what percent that is of me. Like,
1: um, basically, it was waking up and doing fasted cardio. That was the first thing I was doing. Let me, Let me go back a bit. So it was a pattern break. I always believe in pattern breaks. Tony Robbins actually teaches at his seminars. You need to go through a pattern break, and then he clicks his fingers and he uses his neurolinguistic programming to convince you of it. Um, but what happened was I went through a pattern break. I wasn't at school anymore. I wasn't floundering around being unmotivated by classrooms and unmotivating teachers. And by going through that pattern break, I was able to create a new routine for myself. All of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I can go to the gym, listen to music and work out that that feels pretty good. And then when you start losing weight and you start seeing some results, you're like, Oh, I I want to see how far I can go. And I was getting excited by it. Like it was like, oh, awesome. Like I'll diet a little bit and then I'll lose more weight. And then all of a sudden this weight just started to fall off me like crazy. Like it was, it was, it was the best feeling in the world. Um, and by creating that pattern break, what ended up happening was I was able to develop a routine that I wanted to focus on. The routine was fasted cardio in the morning, weights at night. It was maintaining a, you know, a certain diet this is how many calories we're going to take in. It was about 1,400 calories per day, which was too little. That's why I lost so much weight in such a short amount of time. But what ended up happening is because I stuck to it and I was disciplined and I persevered. And because I was seeing results straight away, you know, weight loss for me because it was such a fast thing, that's why I was able to do it. I was like, oh, okay, I've lost three kilos this week. Let's see how much I can lose next week. There was one week where I actually lost four and a half kilos but that was too much. I still remember I went from 108 kilograms to 103.5. I was possibly doing too much fasted cardio, possibly not taking in enough calories. Obviously my body is using a lot of fat, stored fat to be able to as energy, but quickly learned that that was an unhealthy way to go about things. And what ended up happening was I was started to get some dizzy spells and I was like, okay, let's dial it back a bit. Let's recalibrate the diet. And let's make sure we do it in a little bit of a healthy way. So we started upping the calories to about 1800 to 2000 calories a day, but it's all, it's all about educating yourself. You know, I would read these fit fitness books, 40, 30, 30 diet, which is 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fats. Okay. Let's actually make it more specific. Let's weigh up the food. So I would, you know, get a cup of brown rice, which is about 30 grams of carbs, can of tuna, which is about 20 grams of protein, you know, about 1.4 grams of fat. And then let's add some satay sauce to it, which is about six grams of fat in it, a couple grams of protein in there as well, not too many carbs. And by programming my food as well, being super disciplined with that, that's how I was able to drop so much weight so quickly. With so many people coming up to me and asking me, how did you do this? How did you do this? How did you do this? I was like, well, let's turn this into a business. You know, I, I'm not going to give this away for free. Let's actually figure out how we can create for other individuals. And I ended up replicating that success with quite a few of my clients. I had one client lose 22 kilos in eight weeks, had another girl. And, you know, a lot of women struggle to lose weight at the rate that men do. She lost 30 kilos in six months, which is remarkable. So I was able to replicate that success and continue on my personal training journey but what ended up happening was and why I moved away from personal training is I went overseas and I went to Europe. And when you stop personal training and you're not doing the one-on-ones, you lose your income like that. So all of a sudden I'm paying someone to run my business, to run my boot camps, whilst I'm overseas trying to have a good time. And I'm not making as much money. And I realized, well, there's no residual income here. I'm not making any passive income. I've got someone running the bootcamp, but are they as good as me? Are they going to steal my clients when I get back? Are they going to go set up their own business? So these are things that you kind of have to think about. So that's when I kind of realized, okay, we need to go back to uni and we need to start making some serious money as opposed to the PT money that I was making at the time. And that's when, you know, when I studied economics and maths and that's when I, you know, got my job in banking, which was pretty cool. And yeah, that's how I built it up.
0: And, and what, so did you get degrees in economics and mathematics? I, was, and why did you choose those? Um, <laughs> I mean, I actually loved economic, economics. Economics, <laughs> no. I think this is one of the most interesting topics. It was, it was my favorite topic at school. It was a thing I got, I don't know why I remember this because I don't remember much, but it was a thing that I got the lowest mark in, but it was my favorite class and topic.
1: Um, I'm going to actually make you laugh as to why I chose those two topics. So, um, I was always told I was stupid. Like at school, I had my year 12 teacher, Mr. Bishop, we'll never forget him, tell me that I didn't belong in advanced mathematics. I belonged in general. And because of that, I, you know, didn't even apply myself in his classes. I now have the same qualifications as him. I was also told I wasn't good enough to do economics by my high school principal, uh, Miss Donovan have the same qualifications as her as well now, if not better. But what happened was I always had this problem solving ability. Just, I was able to solve problems and I've got, you know, I can memorize numbers and quite easily. And I was in Madrid and (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this on camera. I've got really, um, I got really high one time, okay? So I was with, you know- Stoned. Yes, I was with the boys and, um, you know, we we're on our Europe trip and that was when I had my moment of realisation. I was sitting there and I was like, I've got to do something. I'm not making residual money right now. All the boys have annual leave. I don't have annual leave. I'm running my own business. I need to figure out a way to make money. And I got on the laptop and I was like, what were you good at at school? Like, What, what did you actually succeed at? And I still remember like there were certain exams in maths that I would get a hundred and then other ones I'd get 20 out of a hundred. And I was like, well, I'm good at maths. I just need, I just need to apply myself. I just need to have the right teacher. So I was looking up any degrees or combo degrees with just mathematics. And one came up from Australian Catholic university and I'm big on the path of least resistance. I'll get on that in a second. And they were offering an economics and mathematics degree, double degree. And uh, I could apply as a mature ed student and get right in because I didn't have a good ATAR or UAI at the time. So you know, I'm in Madrid and I applied for it. And that's basically why I chose those two things. I still remember the Wolf of Wall Street had just come out the following summer. It was summer of 2012, 2013. And I was like, okay, that seems like something that I would like to do. I would like to understand the stock market. I would love to understand financial markets. Let's do economics and maths and take six qualudes, <laughs> and take six qualudes to figure it out. But that's basically how I came about doing my double degree. And, uh, that was it. It was just like, all right, sweet. I'm just going to go do this. And yeah, I went to uni afterwards and it was, uh, it was the best thing I ever did because at university I had this teacher, I'll never forget him. He nurtured me in such a way that I was teaching the class. He got me to teach the class within four weeks of me being there you know, how to run matrices and matrices. And I had, I had been told I was, you know, this shit kicker all my life. And then all of a sudden, four weeks later, I'm teaching at like four unit maths. That's, that's the level I was teaching at. And I was just like, oh my God, like I'm actually good at something. And it was the same thing as the personal training when I was, you know, I finally lost the weight and I was skinny and people are asking me, how do you do this? the same thing happened with the maths. It was just all about perseverance, problem solving, and finding a solution. Isn't it amazing how schooling has
0: such a big impact on like your life? Like it, because schooling so rigid and it just depends on like, you know, who's your teacher? Are they a good teacher? Do they like you? Cause obviously teachers are biased too. Like I was, I always had the same thing. And I reckon a lot of, business owners and, and entrepreneurs are the same. I was told I was dyslexic. I, my, my mom got called in one day and, and uh, um, they told her I was uh, ADD and dyslexic and all this shit. And, and I, <laughs> I was so dumb. I wasn't even allowed to play sports because at American school, you have to have like a high enough grade to actually like to play sport. It's different in Australia where they actually encourage you to to, to Dude, be BDH fit BDH. Yeah Because yeah. <laughs> oh, I was at the American school Like they, they wouldn't even let me play sports Because um, because my grades weren't high enough And all this stuff And I just remember like, I even remember my year 7 teacher I don't want to talk about myself But just on the topic of, of like schooling And how f- funny it can be I remember my year 7 teacher telling me This was in Australia Telling me that there's no way I'm going to make it Like I won't be here by year 12 <laughs> You know you, you just remember these I still like her yeah. Uh, I don't know qualms with it, but, but you do remember those things and, and, and good teachers you remember too. shout out to Mr. Walker business class, in 10 and 11, I want to say, no, 11 and 12. But
1: I went to ACU and the reason why I chose ACU was because it was down the road from me. I was like, okay, it takes me 15 minutes to get to uni, 15 minutes to get home, as opposed to taking the train to and from, I can still work in that time, you know, around university, around my schedule. And ACU is a teacher's university. A lot of people go to Australian Catholic University to become teachers. And I'm seeing firsthand the people that are going to teach the next generation. And some of them weren't passionate about becoming a teacher. They weren't, oh yeah, I'm becoming a teacher because I love nurturing and I love creating. They were becoming a teacher because, oh, you know what? They get three months of holidays a year, but they still get paid a full-time salary that's not somebody that loves their job. That's somebody that's looking to do the bare minimum for 40 weeks and then take 12 weeks of the year off. So sometimes, you know, in the situation, people like you and I get stuck with that. And at that time, you're in year seven and a teacher's telling you, oh, you're not good enough. You're not going to be here till year 12. You are literally 12 or 13 years old at that point. I'm imagining me walking up to my 13-year-old niece right now and telling her she's not good enough at anything it's the worst thing anybody at that age can hear from someone that's twenty years their senior. Like you can't be saying that.
0: I agree, just, but I don't blame her. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's it just, and also sometimes, also in life, you got to learn, like, to be tough. Like, and it's good to learn at a young age, anyway. It, yeah, like, but
1: some of us aren't wired that way. I wasn't wired that way. I was, I wasn't a tough kid. I was, you know, I developed late. I was a late bloomer. I was this you know, chubby fat kid and then I'm getting told, oh, you're not good enough at this as well. That's gonna, that's gonna yeah. destroy me. Yeah. So I can okay, maybe for some people they need a bit of tough love. But for other individuals, they don't operate that way. And I did not I I'm I'm very against the schooling system because of that. Because we have a lot of people that aren't are they taking psychological tests before they can become a teacher? Are they taking, you know, uh leadership programs, you know, like the one that they offer at Cub? Uh, That's a plug for Daniel right there. Are they doing those kind of things? No, they're not. They're just throwing these people in. They pass an interview. What can you teach? What did you specialize at university? Oh, this is my, you know, dip ed. And these are the subjects I'm going to do. Maths, history, economics. Okay, perfect. Throw them in.
0: Yeah, I I don't, I I mean, I don't think it's the teacher's fault personally. I I think there's some teachers... That uh, like you're saying, you're more passionate than others. I just think it's more schooling in general is very rigid in the sense that there's subjects and you have to be tested on those subjects, and you know the teacher has a job and their jobs to make sure that you can pass that test, and 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 they're given a curriculum and that type of thing. But and I think that doesn't really fit uh, everybody. Like for me, I tried really hard one year in year twelve um, to for my eight. Uh, I don't know if it was called a year uh, – not I, I, I think, <laughs> you. I think you uh, and
1: I, you and I had you AI. Yeah.
0: So that was 2010. I guess, yeah. University right. admission index. And uh, I, I like, I tried really hard. I, I studied every uh, recess and lunch. Uh, I didn't study after school, but I did recess and lunch and sometimes before school. And I got 81, mm-hmm. but like, they, like my brother got like 95, you know, and I don't think he, I, I don't think he tried harder than I did, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so like, I just wasn't, you know, some people's brains aren't built to, to, to do that. Um, and some people's are, so it's just a rigid system. And if you don't, if you aren't, if you're not academic in that sense or smart in the sense of, um, you know, testing and and memorizing and testing or whatever it is, then, then, you know, you, you could be told that you're dumb, but, but you could be really fucking smart because like I was real dumb in school, but like, I make a lot of money and, you know, I, I help a lot of people yep. and I, you know, I have a lot of powerful and great friends now who, who look, look I, at me and think, oh, he's like, he's going to be like me one day. You know, like I, it, it, you know, there's different types of dumb. I'm a lot
1: of them, <laughs> but my point is school's rigid. I agree with you, but you know, my older brother got 99.5, you know, he could have become a brain surgeon with that mark. Right. He chose to become a builder like every other Lebanese person. We'll get into that later. But he could have been a brain surgeon or something along the lines of that. What you're saying is my brother and I, same household, but he's been you know, nurtured by certain teachers and then the other one wasn't. And it does have that effect. So I understand what you're saying. Okay, it does build a little bit of toughness. But what if there's you know, Daniel Hakim that's in school right now that doesn't have – you know, that nurturing process or doesn't have that kind of thing. And, you know, by the age of 18, they're not as much of a hustler. They're not as much of a person that, you know, you you might have external variables that allowed you to become that hustler. And that's why I'm so, that's yeah. why I'm just so passionate about, Yeah, I see what you're like, this is what you guys, you know, external environment, maybe my external environment at home wasn't as good. The environment at school wasn't as good. And, on the back of that, I have a teacher calling me stupid because he thinks it's funny.
0: Yeah, or because you're just not good at what that school, the, you know, of the schooling system like like I wasn't. But but yeah. you, you, I
1: want to move on from schooling. No, but, no, but, I understand. But, like, but I, just, I just want to touch on one more thing real I think quick. it's probably relevant to a lot of business people. But, but think think about this. I'm in general maths and I've got 100 and then I move up to advance and then a week in me being in advance, that teacher telling me I'm too stupid. Mm. I Maybe. think a lot of people can relate to that and say, no, that teacher shouldn't have said that. Why is he saying that? We ended up finding out that you know he had some certain issues with certain people's. I'm not going to get into it, but anyways, that's the reason why I'm against. Like, okay, nurture. You've got to nurture the people the correct way. Anyways, we'll touch on that another time.
0: Uh, yeah, upbringing. Uh, upbringing is crucial. And is your family in business or um, uh, or pro- like professional? Uh, professional jobs. <laughs>
1: so so dad came here. I'm when, very jet lag today. <laughs> dad came here when he was uh I think he would have been so 26 when he had Charlie. Dad was about 28, 29 years old when he came to Australia, mum and dad. From? Uh, they had traveled quite a bit. So they they were supposed to live in Canada, but dad came to Australia, realized that winter in Australia isn't like winter in the rest of the world is like, okay, now I'm gonna live here now, which is very funny. And he had studied civil engineering. Dad was a professional for two years and his mate was a builder. The builder was making double what dad was making. And dad had to travel 90 minutes a day to work 90 minutes back. And on the back of that as well, the builder was also able to spend more time with his family, able to take three months holidays to Lebanon. Dad goes, oh, that sounds, that sounds like it's a lot more up my alley. So dad moved from civil engineering into construction he went and he got his builder's license and he started to do a lot more property development and he moved into that space. So dad was always an entrepreneur. Mum was a stay at home mom. So mom, you know, we had five kids. I'm the youngest of five. There's a nine year age gap between my oldest brother and myself. Mum had her hands full, okay? Always taking care of the kids, making sure they were well fed. So they had a partnership at the same time. Dad would, you know, dad knew his role. It was very, very traditional Lebanese family. Dad's going to be the breadwinner. Dad's going to be the one that takes care of the family. Make sure that p- the kids can go to private school. Make sure that the kids are taken care of. Mom would be the caregiver. She would be the one, you know, to cook for the family, to, um, you know, drive them to and from sport, to be the one that, you know, dropped them off at school and everything. Being a mom is a full-time job, keeping the house clean, keeping it tidy with five kids. In that age bracket, that's going to be an extremely difficult thing to take care of. Yeah, I always
0: well. say raising humans is the hardest and most important job you could possibly have. If you were to put a wage on raising human, or at least an earning on raising humans and the future impact that that would have on society yeah, and the contribution you're giving to society by doing that, like – it would be the highest, <laughs> you know, because it's the most important. That's exactly your job. You. Like my job is uh, uh, helping business owners build relationships that help them be entre- better entrepreneurs and, and better serve society through their businesses. Mm-hmm. But that isn't as important as raising human beings to be beings that can co- positively contribute to society.
1: That's exactly like, right. That's
0: the most important job. That's, you
1: know? that's exactly right. Yeah. So the, that's
0: crazy. That, the, the Government should pay some.
1: <laughs> they should start paying. No, I don't want to say that. They're <laughs> going to
0: start taxing me more than doing that. <laughs>
1: Um, so it was a partnership with the two of them and you know, my brother went into the professional world for a year. And then as soon as he was done with the professional world, he became a builder. My sister, she worked at CBA and she worked at Coca-Cola for two years. All of a sudden she's got the largest wedding magazine in Australia. Um, Oh, who's your sister? Wendy Curry from Worded Wonderland.
0: Uh, Yeah, she's very well known.
1: Yeah. so Like an entrepreneurial family. So, and then the twins, you know, my twin sisters as well. They went and they, one of them owns a large B2B, you know, marketing company. And the other one owns one of the, you know, premier dress hire shops in Sydney. She's always been in fashion. So everyone in the family did the exact same thing. They went to the corporate world for one to two years. And then they went and started their own business because- we're all wired the same. We're too passionate. We're too fast. And we do not like being told, no, you have to stay in that role for 18 months. And then you can think about a promotion or you have to stay here for three years. And then you can think about a promotion. None of us were like that. We're like, no, 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 no. Let's go make some money. Okay. I don't want to be held back because of the way that my dad is. My dad did the exact same thing. And, you know, actually talking out loud in this podcast, (laughs) I'm actually starting to realize we're a lot more like him than I initially thought, you know, we all went to the professional world for one to two years and then we just, yep, yeah, let's go start our own thing. So everyone in the family has always been very entrepreneurial minded. Everyone's got their own ABNs, ACNs kind of thing. Like it was just it's just a very natural thing, I think, that happened in our family.
0: It's amazing how people follow the path that was kind of walked before them, typically by their parents. Like, mm. it, it, uh, for some reason, uh, you know, as a child, I reckon it opens up. Uh, like, that's that—that that is the most known option, you know. And you've already kind of got a built-in mentor because they've already walked that path. They can mm. tell you what's you know what's going to happen, what to do. Like, you know, if, if you're, I, I really think even just. Knowing so many business owners, if your parent, if your parents are small business owners or big business owners or whatever they are, if they're in business, the odds of you opening a business and being in business are far greater than not. I actually don't know the stat on that. I'm completely guessing that based on knowing thousands of business owners.
1: Yeah, anecdotal but, evidence. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: But I, one thing you learn about me, I'm always right. <laughs> ask laura (laughs) always so so uh, 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 we should look up the stats you know what we need to start doing on this show we need to have like that yeah that ipad where we can like look up things i say to make sure they're
1: correct it's like it's the joe rogan thing hey jamie can you go do that yeah Yeah. we need that (laughs) yeah yeah i think laura we're gonna get a live uh live laptop up and we'll have the monitor behind here yeah
0: we should and we should also have a microphone for you laura why don't we do that
1: (laughs) We'll chime in. She wasn't. can't
0: even reply right <laughs> now. Got a
1: microphone. <laughs> no, but uh, you see it everywhere. I've my solicitor, his son is taking over the company. He's a solicitor now. My one of my good mates, accountant, he took over from his dad's business. So it's kind of funny. It, the, the apples don't fall far from the tree, and I think it's just because of yet again nature nurture. You know, we're nurtured in a way that we find the things interesting. My brother became, you know. UAI, but he turns around and goes, No, there's a lot of money to be made in construction and property development. I'm going to move into that. Similar to me, even though my main line of work is finance, I'm always looking at property. And why am I always looking at property? Why am I always looking at supply and demand? Well, that's because of dad. Dad, you know, was always talking about, Oh, this is a good site. This is how much money that it can generate. This is how much we can look at, you know, in one to two years. This is the yield if we, you know, build to rent as opposed to build to sell. So just being around that, it kind of made me grow into the role that I'm in now. On the other side, you'll see plumbers, you'll see, you know, all of a sudden they're the son of a blue collar family. Why? Dad used to take them to site when they were 12 to 14 years old. Dad used to, you know, give them 50 bucks for the day. Hey, you're going to be my laborer for the day. You're going to be cleaning up and stuff. The son's learning some hard work and, uh, the dad, you know, actually has an extra set of hands on site with him kind of thing. So you always see that nature and nurture. And I can point to similar to yourself, a hundred different families that everyone's kind of the same.
0: Mm. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's interesting, but, but what were you doing before simple? Were you, oh, was that, that was when Bank. you're in banking and oh. what made you decide to leave banking? Um, cause it's a big decision. I mean, getting a job in Macquarie is pretty hard. And mm. um, so I can imagine leaving one is probably hard too.
1: um, so I loved Macquarie, I loved being there. I still remember, you know, being on the floor. I still remember looking over the water at Barangaroo. I loved the office. I loved the everything about it, but I went on an overseas holiday and, you know, you take a couple conversations there, here and there, and then all of a sudden a conversation turns into a job interview and someone had offered me a job in New York City and i got back to sydney you know and with all expectations that you know i landed on thursday i was going to go into the office on monday get over my jet lag over those 3 days the next day friday i told dad dad i'm going to move to new york i'm going to start applying for my visa you know i've got offered this job and this is what's going to happen sunday dad has a heart attack so dad has his heart attack and he comes into my bedroom and he goes this is it and he starts sweating and he starts panting and, you know, I freak out, I have to drive him to hospital and I call up, you know, my manager the next day and I go, dad's had a heart attack. I'm in hospital right now. I'm not going to make it to work today. She's like family is family. Go take care of your family. There's nothing we could do about that kind of thing. My brother's in Brisbane at this moment and he's, you know, working up there. So I'm just like, you know, having to take this all in. I'm a young kid at the time. Well, I don't want to say young kid, but I was immature at the time. And that was when I really realized family is one of the most important things. Like, you know, when you have your dad in your arms and he's sweating and he's freaking out and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to him. I'll never forget that feeling. So dad had a project in Goulburn at the time. It was a 60 key hotel room for quest service departments. It was 25 residential units and it was a heritage restoration of a church. My brother's building up in Queensland and he's got his own projects to worry about. He can't sit there and manage New South Wales and he can't manage Queensland at the same time. It's an extremely difficult thing to do without good human resources. I said goodbye to New York. I was like, not going to do that anymore. And I said, all right, I'll leave Macquarie and I'll, I'll come work for you dad. And that's how I got into, you know, property development at the same time. So I was thrust right into it. I'm you know, that dad can't communicate as much at that time. You know, he's obviously having to rest after a heart attack and everything. And so I'm going and I'm spending one and a half hours to two hours a day with him, just taking down notes, you know, what's a DA, (laughs) what's a construction certificate. Okay. Uh, what's a slab? Like I didn't know anything about anything, but the great thing that my dad did was build a great team around him. So we had our foreman and site manager, Greg at the time, and he was able to take the helm quite a bit because dad, you know, basically treated Greg like a son. And so from there I was able to learn of someone that had been working for my dad. And it was kind of that generational thing. So by the end of that project, which we finished ahead of schedule, supposed to finish in November, we actually finished it in September, you know, and quest service departments to this day says, Hey, that is possibly the best quest in Australia that was built. And that's because of the level of finish and, you know, the attention to detail we had on the construction, everything along the lines of that. They've asked us to build even more. But once that project was completed, we didn't have anything afterwards. And that's when I started it simple. That's when it was like, okay, we need a cash flow business. At the same time of having a construction company, because we are like, okay, we need to have the two working hand in hand with construction and property development. That's the golden egg at the end of two years. You need to have something that, you know, can be your week-to-week income at the same time. And that's how we started it Simple as well.
0: It's an amazing story. Yeah. It's amazing how scary, bad events in life or with your family or whatever it may be can set you on a completely different trajectory.
1: It's um, my partner's from New York. So she lived there for five years. Okay. We've known each other for 10 years, obviously, when she was living in Australia beforehand. And then, you know, she moved over there. And I still remember messaging her when I was there. And I was like, hey, let's catch up for a drink kind of thing. I was dating someone else at the time. I was going to bring her along. She was dating someone else at the time. She was going to bring him along. I just thought it was going to be something normal. And then she ended up staying in New York for four more years. And, you know, I stayed in Australia. And it's just kind of funny that if none of that had happened, we would have been in the same place at the same time. Would things have worked out the same way? You you never know. And it's just kind of one of those moments that you feel like is from, you know, some spiritual intervention or something like that, like I call him God. But um, was it God that was telling me, hey, this isn't for you. You need to have your own journey here in Sydney and in New South Wales before you go and do anything else kind of thing. You need to stay here. You need to be with your father. You need to be with your family so you can grow more as an adult as opposed to chasing that high, oh, I live in New York City and I'm a corporate banker kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I just think everything happens for a reason,
0: yeah. uh, particularly for those who search for the reason. A lot of people just don't search for it, and they think, "Oh, the world's happening to me." But I think it's a choice to be able to look at, "No, I'm happening to the world," you know, and 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 what are the good things that have happened because
1: you know of a potentially bad thing that's happened. I like that. I'm happening to the world. That's a yeah. that's a cool thing to say. And, <laughs> and 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 you've got a podcast now. You said you you started your own. So we started the finance show with Joe just because I like that name. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, basically, you know, we're, we're in home loans. We're in finance. If you turn on the TV right now, three ads for home loans, one from Commonwealth bank, one from St. George and one from NAB. you know, any point in time, you turn on the radio, any point in time. So we are literally competing against companies with these billion dollar marketing campaigns, trying to squeeze out the middleman. They're trying to squeeze, you know, out the, the small guy at any one point in time. Why wouldn't they, you know, they, they have shareholders. They need an answer to, they have, you know, people working for their bonus. So they're always going to be going after these things, but what they don't have is individuals. And when you start a business, you are the business, you are the backbone of the business and you are the media, you are the PR, you are the marketing, you are everything. So I discovered the finance show with Joe was going to be my best avenue to be able to tell people or to be able to interview people or to be able to educate people on what they need or what they can use to be able to make themselves wealthy. At the end of the day, it's simple was built on one thing. Make every Australian a wealthy one. Any person that comes into contact with our business, a wealthy person. And we bring buyers agents on, we bring solicitors on, we've brought hub members on, we've accountants, real estate agents, other mortgage brokers. We bring them on. Why? So that they can educate our listeners and they can teach them, Hey, you go and save $25,000. You can go buy yourself $500,000 property. Might not be in Sydney, might be in Perth, but this is how many people are moving to Perth in the next year. This is their trajectory this is how much the net migration is going to be. Okay. The buyer's agent, by the way, has told them that on the podcast. Okay. What's the estimate of how much they can, you know, possibly make an equity in one to two years? Oh, we put that out. All of a sudden, someone who has zero financial aptitude, has never taken a finance class in their life. You know, they've studied art or they've studied, you know, personal training or they've studied, um, I'm just trying to think of something else, marketing. They don't know a single thing about home loans. All of a sudden they listen to our show, they go away with a wealth of knowledge and they can start building for themselves as well. Is the finance show with Joe? The finance show with Joe, yeah. That's in, in Spotify and, and Apple. Spotify, Apple, everything, you know. Oh, we'll awesome. leave it in the show notes afterwards. But having that show allowed us to compete against the big banks and it allowed us to, you know, create an edge for ourselves. And I think you'd know just as well as me and everybody that comes on this show there's always some sort of edge that they end up creating that they hone in on and that's what allows them to really build their business afterwards.
0: Yeah, everyone has a strength. Like, yeah. I mean, I just do this show because I like talking to people and <laughs> and like no un- understanding business owners is is what I need to do for, for a living. And, I, and sorry, the reason we started this show was because we wanted to – provide some value or as much as we could to people who weren't cup members or who weren't eligible yet, or, you know, had just started their businesses and, and, and whatnot. But I think it kind of grew past that. That was through COVID. It grew past that and then it just became enjoyable to do. And And now there's a lot of people listen and like email us and like it. So it'd be shit to stop <laughs> because <laughs> they'd, they'd get angry at me and, and I'd, have, I'd lose fans. But, um, but it's just good fun. I like speaking to people. But thank you for coming on. We do have to wrap up. Oh,
1: do we? Okay. Yeah. I had so much more than I wanted to chime in on. but <laughs> <We> okay. <do. laughs>
0: no. And to our listeners, if you want to get in contact with Joe, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and find out more information there. You can get on his podcast. Sounds pretty good. Um, and you can get in contact with him. Uh, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club of United Business on Instagram. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man.
1: Daniel, thank you so, so much. I enjoyed every second of it.
0: Yeah, we spoke a lot about schooling, though. We've never spoken about schooling that much in a play. Anyway, I'm, I think it's
1: relevant. Uh, yeah, I, I can chime, I could talk about that for days. Anyways, I'm and sorry. And shout about out that. to all
0: the great teachers out there. Thanks, Joe. <laughs>